We're going to be in Luke 19, uh, verses 1 through 27. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a table back here with this weird little globe light on it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can walk back there and, and pick that up. And if you just forgot yours this morning, you can follow along with that. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that one with you at home. That's uh, our gift to you. But um, So we're going to be in Luke 19, verses 1 through 27. Uh, ben sort of spilled the beans to you guys last week that I was going to be preaching for him today. And so I was a little nervous about who would show up uh, because I knew Ben wasn't preaching. And so I'm glad you guys uh, proved me wrong. So thank you. Um, but so as I, you know, would hang out with some of you guys, be like, oh, that's awesome, Patrick, you're preaching next week. What are you preaching on? And I would tell them, well, I'm going to preach on two stories. Uh, the first one's the story of Zacchaeus, and then the second story, and they would all, everyone, without fail, would interrupt me in the middle of my second sentence and say, oh, Zacchaeus, are you going to sing the song? Are you going to sing, you know, Zacchaeus was a wheel on man, and uh, I'll go ahead and pop your bubble, you know, burst your bubble right now. At no point in this sermon am I going to sing, okay? I'm not going to sing the song. It's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. Um, so, just don't expect it. Okay, so, um, but we're going to be looking at the story of Zacchaeus, and then the second parable uh, is called the parable of the ten minutes. And uh, at seminary, they taught you to preach this way. They say, uh, when you get up to preach, tell them what you're going to say, and then say it, and then at the end, tell them again what you just said. And so, uh, before we even get into the, the verses here, I'm going to tell you, these are the two things that uh, this, the passage that we're going to look at today is communicating. The first thing in the story of Zacchaeus is talking all about how true salvation produces fruit and what that fruit is. And so that's the whole story. So true uh, salvation produces fruit. And the second story, the parable of the ten minas, is all about how to live until Christ comes back. That's the whole point of that story. And so as we go along this morning, uh, we'll, we'll get to each story and kind of break it apart, but um, explain it more fully. But those are the two main things. So if you, as you walk out of here today, remember, okay, I know that true salvation produces fruit, and what should I do until Jesus comes back? So two main points. So um, let's go ahead and start in uh, Luke 19, verse 1. We'll, we'll read verses 1 and 2 first. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Okay, so as you, as you remember, uh, for the past few chapters, Jesus has been on his way to Jerusalem. That has been his singular focus, and the text says that his face turned towards Jerusalem. So he's heading there to, like I said before, to fulfill his one purpose that he came to earth to do, was to die and to rise again to save us. And that's the whole point. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. And the text even, he entered Jerusalem and was passing through. And so Luke, the author of this book, uh, of the book of Luke, makes it clear, even in the, the grammar that he uses, hey, Jesus is on his way. He's going, uh, going through this town for a purpose. And so, um, and to get to Jerusalem. And so, uh, and there happened to be a man in Jericho in this town uh, named Zacchaeus. And he was, like the text says, a chief tax collector. And we've seen tax collectors already in the book of Luke, and they are almost never mentioned in a positive light. It's almost always negative about them because uh, their profession just about made them greedy people. Uh, they're all about money. They collected money for the, the Roman authorities. And so they would pad their pockets and what they do. So let's say that the tax was $10 a week. Now, I would love to only pay $10 a week in taxes. I don't know about you, but let's just say for ease, I'm not a real big math guy. That's $10 a week. And so what a tax collector would do is he would say, okay, you know, he would go to your house every week and say, okay, you $10, the tax. Uh, he would say instead of $10, he'd say, 
okay, the tax actually went up to $11, and so you need to give me $11. And they had to listen to him because if they didn't, they would call on the Roman authorities. The soldiers would come, and, you know, they would make you give this tax collector money. Well, uh, he would pat his pocket with that one extra dollar. And when he did that to everyone who lived in those towns and villages, he got really, really rich. And so the text says that he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And so this is actually the, the chief tax collector is the only time this word is used in the whole New Testament. And so he is, he's probably a, a tax collector who has other tax collectors under him. So he's in a position of authority, really um, popular, well-known, rich guy. All right, verses 3 and 4. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Okay, so like I said, Jesus has been heading to Jerusalem, and there's all these people who are ready to see him go into the gates because they assume that Jesus is going to go in on this white horse with a sword, and he's going to overthrow the whole government, and he's going to rule and reign over everyone. That's what they assumed that was going to happen. So that's why these crowds are starting to build and build around him as he's heading towards Jerusalem. And uh, as we know, it doesn't actually turn out that way, but um, that's what they were expecting. So that's why there's this huge crowd, so huge that this this short little guy, Zacchaeus, couldn't see over them. So just like the song says, uh, he ran ahead and he climbed up into a tree so he could see Jesus. Now, this would have been a humiliating thing to do for someone who was wealthy, for someone who was well-known among the community. Uh, Men in that day, they didn't run and climb up into trees. That's what children did. And so this is a really humiliating act for this tax collector to do, but um, he wanted to see Jesus so much that that's what he was, he was willing to take ridicule that he would get, and he, he just, he wanted to see who this man Jesus was. And he, he was curious, but we're going to find out as we continue to read the story that it wasn't just for curiosity's sake that he wanted to see who this Jesus was. So let's uh, start and uh, let's read again, verse 5 and 6. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Okay, so um, Jesus is walking through, he's passing through Jerusalem, or passing through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. And he happens to walk past this tree where Zacchaeus is, and he happens to look up and see in the tree this man named Zacchaeus, the short tax collector. And then he calls out to him, he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so up, up to this point, it seems like this, things are just happening. You know, it just happened to, Jesus happened to go through Jericho. He happened to look up. He happened to see Zacchaeus. He happened to know his name, right? The text doesn't say that Zacchaeus and Jesus had talked to this point. He just saw him and knew who he was. And then Luke uses this word, um, I must Stay at your house today. Now, Luke, the author of this book, he uses this word must a number of times. And he uses the word for a very specific reason. He is communicating when he uses this word must that um, it it wasn't, it's not just by happenstance. It is part of God's divine plan that this thing is happening. So when he says, I must stay at your house today. He's saying, hey, before time began, this, is, this was predestined to happen. I knew I must stay at your house today. And as we look and read, continue to read the story, we're going to continue to see um, that play out. But um, let's read verse 7. 
And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a sinner. So again, there's these crowds that are building up around Jesus. And when they see him call out to Zacchaeus, and when they see Zacchaeus look down and respond joyfully to this command that Jesus has given him, they grumbled about it. They were not real happy. They must be thinking, gosh, Jesus, you know everything. Uh, how, how do you not know that this guy is wealthy, that he steals from us? How do you not know that? Why don't you care that he's this really bad guy? What, what, what's your problem? And if you look in the Old Testament, uh, God does not respond well to people who grumble, right? The Israelites, when they were in the desert, they grumbled, and it did not end up well for them. Um, and so this is, this is really not uh, a positive thing that they said that they were grumbling here. All right, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Okay, so Zacchaeus responds to Jesus' command to come down. So he hurries down out of the tree and he, and he leads Jesus to his house. And then everyone grumbles and then Jesus, or, and then Zacchaeus because he can see that they're grumbling, this is what he does. He says, okay, I'm going to give half of everything that I have to the poor. All right, that already is a huge, uh, a huge gesture, a huge thing for Zacchaeus to do because the text says that he is wealthy. This guy is really rich. And so it is, it is a big deal that he's giving half of all of the things that he has away. But on top of that, he says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything... I restore it fourfold. So if he's taking a dollar from you, he's going to give you four dollars back. That is a radical response from Zacchaeus. Now, why is he responding that way? This seems sort of out of the blue a little bit, uh, but what happened? What made Zacchaeus respond this way? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 9 and 10, and Jesus said to him, today salvation is has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus tells us why Zacchaeus responded this way. He responded this way because he got saved. He got a new heart in Christ. That is how he responded this way to the gospel. Now, Zacchaeus, like I've said, he was a really rich man. And if you remember in chapter 18 that we just looked at, there's two examples of rich men. The first one, Jesus says, uh, he's talking about rich people. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into heaven, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, a camel just went through an eye of a needle because Zacchaeus just got saved, Right? And so it's not impossible when Jesus says that. He's not saying that a rich person will never get into the kingdom. It's just, it takes a miracle of God. And that's what salvation is, a miracle of God. And so uh, the, the second time we see a rich person mentioned in just a chapter ago is the rich young ruler. This man comes to Jesus and he says to him, I, I want to be your follower. And so he says, I've kept the law my whole life since I was a child. But Jesus knows his heart and he says, okay, give all of your belongings away to the poor and then come and follow me. And the rich man, he walks away because he had a lot of things and he loved his stuff, right? That's what happened. And so Luke, the author of this book, he knew um, when he put chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus, right after that, he was opposing these two men to each other. He said, this is the rich young ruler. He does not love God. 
He loves his things. And then Zacchaeus, he loves Jesus, and he displays that by giving all of his stuff away. Now, he, didn't get, he gave half of his things away, and you notice Jesus doesn't chastise him for that. He's still keeping some of his stuff, but by this gesture of giving half of his things away and then restoring what he has stolen from other people, he's showing that, hey, this guy has had a, a complete, he has a completely new heart. No one responds to the gospel in this way if they don't love Jesus more than they love their stuff. And so Luke, the author, is opposing these two men to each other. And then Jesus explains why he was able to do that, because he has a new heart in Christ. And so you remember this divine must when Jesus uses this word must. We know from in Ephesians 1, it talks about how before the foundations of the world, God chose us to believe in him so that we might love him. And, and so he chose to save us. And so before time even began, God said, there's going to be a time when, I'm, when Jesus, the Son of God, is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to pass through Jericho. And I must stay at this man's house, Zacchaeus. And so Jesus, before time began, knew that he was going to walk through there, and he's going to look up in this tree, and he's going to call up, Zacchaeus, I must stay in your house. I must save you. That's what happens. And if you believe in Christ, he did the same thing for you and for me. He, he, before time began, before the foundations of the world, he chose and loved you. And he said, I'm going to save him. I'm going to call Patrick out of his sycamore tree to, despite his love of money and his love of self and all the bad things about him. I'm going to choose him. I'm going to love him. I must save him. And if, if you believe in Christ, he's done that for you. He called you out of your sycamore tree. And he loves you. And once that happens, we are able to respond to the gospel by not loving the things that we have more than we love Jesus. And you don't love uh, power more than you love Christ. You love others. You give things away. You empower other people. You don't look for the recognition for yourselves. That's what happens when you get a new heart in Christ. And so that is the fruit that a changed heart produces. A changed heart, when you get a new heart in Jesus, you produce good fruit. Now, what is the good fruit that you're able to produce? Well, the second story that we're going to look at this morning talks about the fruit that you are able to produce. And so, let's look at verses 11, or 11 through 17. Um, and so, this is the second story. This, this makes the second point that I was talking about at the beginning here. And let me explain first the story. It's called the parable of the ten minutes. And so you have to understand a parable uh, is a story. And in the story, each character and, and some of the things in the story represent uh, people and things in reality. And so as we go through this parable, I'm going I'm to talk about, okay, well, this is what it means in the parable. And this is what it means in reality. This is how it applies to you and to me and how it applied in the context uh, when it was written. And so as we walk through, we're going to read those things, and we'll, help, we'll explain that together. Um, but let's read verse 11 first. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Okay, so Luke front loads this story with an explanation of the rest of the parable. And so, if you don't get verse 11, you're not going to get the rest of the parable. 
So why is he telling this story? Well, he's telling this story because he was on his way to Jerusalem. And the very next passage we're going to look at uh, next week is called the triumphal entry. And it's when Jesus enters in Jerusalem. And so he's on his way into Jerusalem. And they assumed, like I said before, that he was going to come in and enter as a king. But he's going to do the exact opposite. He's going to come in and enter on a donkey. A complete reversal of what everyone thought he was going to do. And, and so because they, they assumed that he was going to come in and take over the authority, take over and become the king, basically, uh, he's telling them that, no, this isn't how it's going to happen. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again, but I'm going to ascend into heaven. And I'm going to be in heaven for a long time. And then someday I'm going to come back and judge everyone, and, and, and then we're going to start to rule and reign together. And so he's telling this parable to let the disciples know, hey, um, I'm not going to it's not going to happen immediately. It's going to take a really long time. And even up until the day before Jesus died, up on the Last Supper, they still thought that he was going to rule and reign immediately. You know, when, they, when Jesus says, I'll have to die, the Son of Man has to be crucified, he has to die, Peter says, no, never, it'll never happen. And it's like they still don't get it. And, in, and later they understand, okay, Jesus said these things, so we should have been looking for it. But, um, so that's the purpose of this parable. And so it's, it's that Jesus is going to leave, he's going to be gone for a long time, but he's going to come back, and he's going to judge everyone, and then he's going to rule and reign over for the rest of eternity. And so as we look at this, we're going to see, okay, what are, the part, what are the different parts in this parable? What part do I play in this? How does this apply, and how does this affect me? All right, so let's look at verses 12 and 13. He said, therefore... A nobleman went into a faraway country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. Okay, so uh, this nobleman in the parable, he goes away to a far country. So he's a nobleman. He's already in charge of some things. He's already ruling over some things. But he goes away to this faraway country to receive a kingdom. Now, Kingdom doesn't mean literal like a boundary on, you know, it's not like the United States or Europe or whatever. He's going to receive the authority of a king. He's going to receive kingship. And so that's the idea that's being communicated here. And Luke says uh, he went into a far away country. And so the story, it's not he went to the next kingdom over, you know, the next, you know, he didn't go from Greenville to Raleigh to get this kingship. No, he went a very, very far away away. And so he's communicating. Luke is saying, hey, Jesus is going to be gone for a really long time. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to be gone for a long time. I'm going to a far away country. And so um, he goes away and he, he has 10 servants and he gives them each one minna. Now, a minna is uh, basically like three or four months' wages. And so, um, depending on your wage, it would probably be uh, a little bit bigger than mine um, as a church planning resident. But, you know, let's just say for ease uh, of math, again, $10,000. So he gives each this one servant $10,000. And he says, um, and the nobleman says to him, engage in business until I come. And so he, he says, I'm going to be gone for a long time. Here's a minna, each of you. Uh, invest it. You know, work with it. And when I come back, I want to see a return on my investment. And that's what he says. And, and so that's the parable. You know, and we're, we're going to see the parable play out. But so in reality, Jesus is this nobleman. And so again, uh, he went into a faraway country, this nobleman did. And so Jesus, he's going to die and he's going to rise again. But then he's going to go into heaven. And he's going to be gone for a long time before he comes back. 
And so he is, he's, Jesus is going to a faraway country, and uh, when he returns, that's when he's getting his kingship. So he's getting his kingship now. He's going to return, and then he's going to um, sort of apply his kingship. And then he's going to return. And then, uh, so he called ten of his servants, this nobleman did. And so if you are a follower of Christ, you are one of these servants that he's talking about. He's not talking about specifically his disciples. If he was talking about his disciples, he would have said 12. But he says 10. He called 10 servants to himself. And so he's, what he's saying is that if you are a follower of Christ, if you claim Jesus as your Messiah, you are one of these servants. And so he gives all of his servants a minna when he leaves. And so for us today, when you become a believer, when you trust Jesus for salvation, you are given a minna. You are given gifts, you're given responsibilities, you're given opportunities to display the gospel and to further God's kingdom for his glory. And so that is what a minute is. And so, you know, for each person, it looks differently. And we're going to talk more about that. But uh, your minute isn't the same as mine, isn't the same as anyone else's, um, at least uh, specifically. And so, uh, but the nobleman, Jesus, expects us to invest what he has given to us. And so you're given a gift. He is expecting you to invest your gift, to exercise your gift for the furtherance of his kingdom. And when he comes back, he's going to see how things turned out. So uh, let's see that. Verse 14. But, uh, yeah, yeah, verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And so we're back in the parable and so uh, this nobleman, like we said before, he is already ruling and reigning over a small uh, group of people or a small village or town maybe. And uh, so the people who he already has authority over, his citizens, send him a delegation when he goes into this faraway country telling him, hey, we don't like you. We hate you. And we do not want you to rule over us anymore. And so, uh, so that's in the parable. In reality, who does this represent because each person in the story, in the parable, represents someone. And in this parable specifically, it represents uh, the Jews. And so we're going to see in a couple chapters that the, Jew, uh, the Jews and the Pharisees especially are the ones who reject Jesus and who give him to the Roman authorities to be crucified. And so it's very easy to see, okay, these Jewish, the Jewish people who hate Jesus, who don't see him as the true Messiah, they're the ones who are rejecting him. And then we can zoom out a little bit and see in our context, in our day, who are, these, who are these citizens? Well, these citizens are anyone who openly and outwardly reject God's authority over their life. And as we look through the passage, it does not turn, well, it does not turn out well for those people. Verse, uh, let's look at verse 15. When he returned... Having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came to him before, came before him, saying, Lord, your minute has made ten minutes more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Okay, so uh, this nobleman returns from his long journey to receive his kingship. And when he returns, he says, okay, roll call, the servants, uh, let's see how you did. You know, what'd you do? I, I was gone for a long time. I gave you uh, a sum of money. I gave you something to invest. 
how did you do? What did you do while I was gone? And this first servant, he steps up and he says to him, um, Lord, your minna has made 10 minas more. That is a pretty good return on investment. Uh, you know, $10,000 makes $100,000. Uh, I'd take that. Uh, that would not be a bad uh, return on my portfolio. I don't know about you. But, uh, and so this, noble, or this, this first servant, he does pretty well. He makes a 1,000% return on, on the nobleman's or the king now, his investment. And so this king, this nobleman, rewards him. First of all, he says, well done, good servant. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, those are the words that we are waiting to hear when we go to heaven to be with God. Uh, he's going to, if we believe in him, he's going to say, well done, good servant. That, those are the best words that a, a follower of Christ could hear. And so this, this nobleman says, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Now, this is a wildly disproportionate uh, reward for what this servant did. He, he, I mean, he, he returned 1,000%. Really good return on the, on, the, on the master's, on the nobleman's money. But does making that return give, you know, qualify you to, to be a, a king or a ruler over 10 cities? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But this nobleman thought so. And so what Luke is saying and what Jesus is communicating through uh, saying this is saying, hey, this reward that you're going to get, that this servant get, is going to be wildly more than you deserve. Um, you, you, know, you don't deserve a, a, a 10 cities off of your 10 minas. Um, but this, uh, this master, this king loves you and he rewards you greatly for the work that, that you have done. And he says, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And so, if you're faithful over the small things, this master will, will assume that you are faithful over big things as well. And that is why he is able to reward you. And so, verse 18. And the second came, saying, Lord, your minna has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Okay, the second servant, he comes up and says, okay, uh, first of all, I wouldn't want to go after that first servant. Um, I don't know about you. I wouldn't want to have to go up and say, uh, I did about half as good as he did, um, but, which is still a really good return, 500% return on your investment. I would love to see that um, as well. Um, and so the second servant comes up and says, I've made five minas with your mina. And then this, the master, this nobleman, responds in the same way he did the other one. Um, then you are to be over five cities. And so he's made five minutes, and this nobleman rewards him with five cities. So again, same proportion. And what, what Jesus is saying is that you are going to be rewarded wildly as well. And so these are disproportionate rewards to what has earned, but he is going to reward you with them anyway. All right, so look, let's look at this third servant. Verse 20. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your minna, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was, I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? 
And so this third servant steps up. I don't know why he volunteered himself, but he did. He stepped up and said, um, okay, uh, master, here, here it is. And he holds out this handkerchief with the minute in it. And, and so he, he, he basically did nothing with it. He wrapped it up and he hid it. He, he did not do anything with what was given to him by the master. The bare minimum, and the, the master asked him this, why didn't you do the bare minimum, which was to have put it in the bank or put it on the money changing table, and I might make a little bit of, a little bit of uh, uh, you know, uh, gain on it. And he says, why didn't you do that? You did nothing. This servant didn't even do the very bare minimum that he could have done. Why didn't he do that? Well, because he said he was afraid of him. He said, he assumed that this master was a severe man. And so the master says, okay, well, that's what you think. Uh, I'm going to judge you by your assumption that you have made. And so he's, gonna, he's going to judge this man. It's pretty clear that uh, this third servant, he didn't know the master very well. Um, he assumed that he was a severe man. Uh, if you look at the, the, the previous two servants, does it seem like he's harsh? It doesn't seem like he's very severe. He rewards people greatly with what, the things that they do. And so he is not a severe. This third servant does not truly know this nobleman. He does not know his master. And that's important to remember. Verse 24. And he said to those who stood by, take the minna from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he's got ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so this servant is uh, the one minna that he has, that he still has, even after this, the master returns, it gets taken away from him. And um, this is, is a really difficult thing to understand. And, and Jesus says, um, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is a really difficult thing to understand. So does, is Jesus saying, does this mean that, you know, the rich are just going to keep getting richer and the poor are just going to keep getting poor? Is that what this means? Thank you. Yeah, of course not. This whole time, have we been talking about money? No, again, I gave you another time. You missed it. No, we are not talking about money. In the parable, we're talking about money. But then what does it represent in reality? Yeah, well, it doesn't represent money. So it represents other things, gifts, responsibilities, opportunities, faith. So what, what this means is that if you are rich in faith, if you are rich in the gospel, you are going to continue to grow you're going to dive into God's word. You're going to be in gospel community with other believers. And you're going to grow and flourish. And you're going to get richer and richer and richer in faith. But if you are poor in faith and you don't have faith in the gospel, you don't understand, you don't know the gospel, you're not going to get richer. You're going to get poor and poor and poor. That is what he's saying here. So if you, everyone who has will get more. If you have faith, you will get more because you will grow in the gospel. But if you don't have faith, you will become poor and poor and poor. And so these three servants, so we just looked at the parable. What do these three servants represent in reality? So let's step out of them and look at us. And so these, the first two servants, 
They represent those who have the gospel. They represent those who have faith in, in God. And so, you know, for us, it means that while we're here, the gifts that God has given us, we're going to invest those gifts. So if you have the, gifts of, the gift of hospitality, you're going to have people over your home, bring non-believers into your house and share the gospel with them and be welcoming to other people. Maybe you serve in first impressions. You know, if, if you're gifted with a gift of teaching, you're going to teach others God's word so that they might grow into a deeper relationship with him. You know, there's tons of different things and gifts that you can have as a believer. And the first two servants are those who exercise their gifts for the furtherment of God's kingdom. And so um, that's you. If you have a gift that God's given you, and if you're a believer in Christ, you have a gift that God gave you, invest it. Do something with what God has given you. Those are the first two servants. You know, and so the first servant got ten cities. The second servant got five cities. And so we're not all gifted in the same way. We are not all going to um, return, get a return or reward the same way. You know, some might get more than others. And that's okay because we're talking about heaven, right? When are we going to get these rewards? We're going to get them when Christ returns and when we are in heaven ruling and reigning with him. And so, honestly, I could have one minute, and, but if I'm with Jesus for the rest of eternity, that's going to be pretty, pretty awesome, okay? And so, um, but we are going to have different rewards. We're all going to have different gifts as well. And so, this, this, those are the first two servants. Well, this third servant, who is he? Who does he represent? Well, he represents those who associate themselves with the church, they come to church. Maybe, maybe it's even more than Christmas and Easter. Maybe it's every other week. or It could be every, every single week. Maybe you come to church and you go to life group and you're going to do serve Greenville and you do all these things, but you don't truly know God. You don't really know the master. You don't know that he's not harsh and he's not severe, but he rewards those who love him and who work for him and those who know him. He is not harsh. He's not severe. And those who associate themselves with the church, with God, but don't truly know him, those are those, that's the third servant. And what did the nobleman say, and what will Jesus say of those servants? He called him in verse 22, you wicked servant. And so at the last day, even if you've spent your whole life in the church doing good things, if you don't truly know God, if you don't truly know and love the gospel, he's going to call you a wicked servant. And you're going to be cast into hell. And we're going to look at that. So those are, the, those are the servants and who they represent. Well, do you remember from the earlier verse about the, the citizens? Let's look at that. Verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is not an easy verse to read. Those citizens, again, those were in this context, they were the Jewish people. The Jews who rejected Jesus are the ones who, who Jesus says, bring them before me and slaughter me, slaughter them before me. Those were those people. And then if we zoom out and look at, you know, the rest of, uh, the wor- rest of time after that, those are people who just outright reject the gospel, who just outright reject Jesus. And he says, bring them before me and slaughter them before me. Well, again, this isn't, you know, a, a, a time-specific thing. It's not all the time. He's talking about when he comes back. 
So when Jesus comes back to judge and rule and reign over the world, he's going to judge you. And it's at that time that he says, uh, if you rejected me, those who rejected me, you are, I'm going to slaughter you. You are going to be cast into hell, a place of eternal conscious punishment. It's not a pretty picture of those who reject Jesus. The Jews in this story and everyone worldwide for all of time who have ever rejected the gospel, who have ever rejected Jesus, it's not a pretty picture for those people. And that, that third wicked servant is lumped in with that, with that group as well. Because if, if you didn't truly know him, then you're going to be tossed into hell as well. And so, you know, let, let's sum up this story and then think about how it applies to us. So this nobleman is Jesus, and he goes into heaven to receive this kingship, this authority that he has as a son of God. And he's going to come back one day. But until he comes back, he's given us, his servants, gifts, responsibilities, and opportunities to serve and love him, to spread the gospel, to love people, and to glorify God. He gives you those opportunities if you are a follower. And for those who reject him, he gives them opportunities to, to claim his name, to stop rejecting him, and to love him and get to know him. And these minas, they're different things for different people. Maybe you, have, maybe you do have the gift of money. Maybe God's blessed you financially. And um, how did Zacchaeus respond to being blessed financially? He gave it away. He did not cling on to that money. He did not find a satisfaction in the money that he had. He gave it away to bless other people at the poor. And he gave it back to people he had stolen it from. That's what true salvation is. And that has how a new, renewed heart in Jesus responds to money. Maybe you have a heart for missions. Maybe you want to see the gospel go out. You know, you need to exercise that gift, and maybe in short-term stuff, maybe across the town, like in stuff in sort of Greenville. Or maybe you want to go to China or to Africa or something like that, the Middle East somewhere. And maybe the, the greatest exercise of your gift that you could that you could do would be to go and die on the mission field for the sake of the gospel. Well, guys, if you do that, you are going to be rewarded in heaven. That is, that is a true heart for God if that is where you, know, you think you could best serve God on his mission field. Maybe you are gifted with administrative stuff and you, could, you, know, you can dot I's and cross T's and do spreadsheets and all that stuff. You can do that for the glory of God. Uh, you know, being a church plant, you know, uh, serve people at your office. I don't know. You can do a lot of different things with the gifts that God's given you. You know, don't, don't think of, of the gifts that you have as, you know, they have to fit in this one box. You can do a lot of different things for God's glory. You don't even have to leave your office. But the point is that you are given a gift. You need to exercise it for the glory of God. That is the point. And so this, these citizens, those are those who reject the gospel who reject Jesus. Um, you have, you know, there are probably all three of these people here. There's probably good servants who are, who are exercising their gifts that God's given them and who are doing these things. And, and my encouragement for you would be to continue to grow in the gospel, continue to get richer and richer in the gospel so you can bless other people more and more. That is what you need to continue to do. 
and maybe there's some people here who associate themselves with with God, with the church. Maybe you're doing all the right things, but you don't know the true Savior. You don't know Jesus. And if that is you this morning, you need to pray to God that he would save you. And you need to dive into God's word, that that he would grow you in the gospel, that he would change your heart, and that you would love him more than you love everything else. And there are probably some citizens here too who reject Jesus, who reject the gospel constantly, all the time. If you ever come here, you have opportunity to respond to the gospel because we preach it every single week because that is what the most important thing is, is the gospel. And so if there's citizens here, you need to please, please pray that you would be saved. Pray that God would save you because he is not harsh, he is not severe, he is loving, he loves He loves us. He loves you and he loves me. And so everyone fits into one of these categories, one of these things. And so pray and seek where you are. If you are the first two servants, continue to do that. If you're the third servant, begin to produce, get to know God, get saved. If you're a citizen, the same thing. You know, submit yourself to the gospel and be saved. Let's pray.